0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Genetic variations have been shown to influence drug metabolism, the risk of adverse drug events, and the response of many drugs that are routinely prescribed to treat patients with a variety of conditions. And now, Upstate's Department of Neurology offers a pharmacogenomics clinic. Today, I'm speaking with two people from that clinic. Dr. Karen Albright, an associate professor of neurology and of pharmacology and Danielle Delvecchio, a clinical pharmacist in the Department of Neurology. I thank you both for making time to talk about this unique clinic.
1: Thank you very much for having us. Yes, thank you for having us.
0: Now, pharmacogenomics sounds like it's the sort of ultimate in individualized or personalized care because it's based on a patient's genes. Is that right? Yes.
2: Um, I think, you know, most people share most DNA or genetics in common, but it's the few things that are different that make us the individuals that we are. And pharmacogenomics capitalizes on those genetic variations.
1: Another word that is often used to describe the pharmacogenomics uh, discipline itself is precision medicine. So it's one way to kind of select the best drug for the patient at their specific dose. So that is, you know, It really is individualized medicine.
0: So who is this clinic really designed to help? What types of patients do you attract?
1: So I would say all patients we can help. Patients who are on no medicines and patients who are on 10 or more or even more medicines than that. Patients who have not many disease states that they're managing at all. And then patients who have several different complex disease states. This type of testing can really benefit any patient who is interested in helping providers essentially pick the right drug for them uh, first, rather than the typical trial and error method.
0: A person who has like a family member who has had adverse drug reactions, that individual might have more of a reason to be concerned that they might, right?
2: I would agree with that. I'm, I would I would add to what Danielle said. You know, we spend a lot of our time taking care of people who feel that they didn't have the appropriate response to a medication. Could be either them or someone in their family. Um, They feel that they had a strange reaction or an adverse drug reaction. And um, as you brought up, we definitely take the family history in terms of things that have happened with drugs, whether it's lack of response or a response that uh, might be viewed as a side effect. So um, yes, we help people with, with both of those issues.
1: And there's two different really categories of ways that we can help people, Um, it's more proactive or reactive. So the proactive strategy is doing pharmacogenomic testing before a patient is prescribed a certain drug and using those results to help select medication. And then reactively, we do pharmacogenomic testing to kind of help answer maybe why a patient had a side effect or why a drug didn't work for an individual patient. And doing that testing can, like I said, help figure out the reason for that and then help us decide appropriate next steps so that it doesn't happen again.
0: How do you find patients or how do patients find you?
2: I think one thing they can do is get their uh, primary care physician or primary care provider to refer them to the PGX clinic at Upstate Neurology and the referral should be PGX clinic for genetic testing. So so that will indicate to us that they wanna come to this clinic and they would like us to do a genetic panel of them to try to figure out which drugs at which doses might be the most appropriate, most effective,
0: safest for that particular patient. So it sounds like the patient maybe should talk to their provider first and say, hey, maybe a referral to the pharmacogenomics clinic might be in order, right? absolutely yes and we
2: we also take referrals from specialists and subspecialists. it's fairly common for danielle and i to see people who uh, maybe their cardiologist feels they need to be on a statin but the first statin or first two statins they've tried the the patient didn't have a good response to that so we'll get a referral from cardiology saying help find this patient a statin that he or she can tolerate
0: Well, can you walk me through what a typical patient visit would be like once someone has an appointment, what can they expect when they get there?
1: Absolutely. So the first visit I see the patient with our nurse practitioner, Stephanie Loveless. And the purpose of the first visit is to get a detailed medication history. So we go through every medication that a patient is currently on, has been on in the past as well and any medication that their family members have been on that they may have had trouble with. So we ask for details on how is each medication working for them? Is it effective? And then at the same time, are they having any side effects to their current medications? And we ask those same questions for
0: medications that they've tried in the
1: past. Can I interrupt
0: you for a second? When you say medications, does that include vitamins and over-the-counter things that people may be taking?
1: We do ask for details on that, just to get a full comprehensive medication history. The, you know, the problem with pharmacogenomics testing is that we have strong level of uh, evidence for certain drugs, not all. So that's where it gets a little complicated with the vitamins. You know, we do a full medication history. We ask about those things because as a pharmacist, I'm not going to ignore certain medications and not talk to them about them if they just because it doesn't have any pharmacogenomic data to support you know any kind of changes to I'll still review their medications answer any questions that they have about their medications so it does include every single thing that they've they've been on just what we do with that information when we get the genetic results
0: is different essentially so we
1: do that for both their current medications like I said and medications that they've tried in the past
0: so they actually have a sit-down, face-to-face meeting with the pharmacist?
1: Yes, myself and Stephanie, we do an in-person visit or telemedicine in the, in the light of COVID. And we will go through that full medication history. We will explain the what pharmacogenomic testing is and what the procedure is for that and how they may benefit from it. And then if they decide to go through with the testing, that's when we would do the blood draw, essentially, to submit to
0: our lab to do that that test. That's what I was going to ask. What is involved for the testing? Is it as simple as one blood sample? Usually, yes. And how soon do you get information back about that patient's? and, And are you getting sort of their whole genome when you get the results back? Well, let me answer the second question first.
2: Um, we are very specific to only genes with high levels of information, high level of evidence. Um, and so we often tell patients, you know, we're we're not like 23andMe. We, we can't predict what diseases you might get in the future. We're really focused on genes that relate to drugs. And we're not ancestry.com. We can't tell you who you are or aren't related to but we're just focused on looking at the genotypes of specific genes that groups like PharmGKB and CPIC have said, this is high level of evidence. They've issued guidelines for clinicians, what they should do with this genetic information should it land in their lap. So um, I think that's one thing that we should we should mention. In terms of how long it takes for this information to get back, we have seen that vary with COVID certainly, but we ask most people to come back and see us in at least six weeks. Yeah, six weeks sounds about right. Um, And that allows time for the necessary quality checks at the lab, and it also allows Danielle and I to go through, there's there's two pieces to this. There's bioinformatics, which interprets the results, but then we interpret it by hand and double check. So we wanna make sure there aren't any errors. And we do a panel-based test. Some institutions do one
1: single drug gene pair. And this panel-based test that we do tests for multiple genes, the genes with the highest level of evidence to support making pharmacogenomic changes. Um, what we do essentially looks at genes that are involved for the most part in drug transport and metabolism. Now, what that means is drugs get broken down in the body in a certain way. These genes code for enzymes that break down drugs in the body. And what we get with these results is either telling us if a patient is a normal metabolizer, or they could be a poor or rapid metabolizer. And using those uh, those categories, you're then able to apply those results to individual drugs and to explain to a patient what that means for them. Does that put them at a higher risk of side effects with this certain medication? And because of that, is there an alternative that would be preferred? Or does this drug, is it more likely to not work for them because of how it's metabolized? And same thing, is there another drug that's more likely to work for them?
2: Yeah, and I would add to that, you know, classic example of what Danielle is talking about is a medication called clopidogrel or Plavix, And we know a little bit about a transporter and um, we get genetic information about this transporter. And this transporter literally has the ability to kick the Plavix back into the gut. Therefore, it comes out as waste. So Plavix is a pro-drug. First, it has to get absorbed. If you have a transporter kicking it back out, you won't absorb as much. That's not the end of it. Then you have to activate this drug. That's a different enzyme, different gene. If you don't have what you need, you can't activate it enough to actually inhibit platelets. So. You know, between Danielle and I, Plavix could be a great drug for her and a not so great choice for me. And we don't know that by looking at someone, we actually have to do the panel. We have to genotype them.
0: Well, I think this is fascinating, but I, I do want to ask you more about this. Uh, Plavix is a, a blood thinner, is that right? So uh, it
1: we, we term it an antiplatelet. It's in the broad category of blood thinners. Within blood thinners, you have drugs that work on platelets and then drugs that work on the coagulation or the blood clotting system. So Plavix or clopidoril works on platelets, so we call it an antiplatelet.
0: So you could have a variety of patients, um, cardiac patients or peripheral vascular disease or stroke, people that are at higher risk for stroke. And if someone is taking Plavix and it, it may or may not be working for them, you guys could maybe figure out why that is. Correct.
2: And the good news is there are so many medications available now. If we tell someone a medicine like clopidogrel is not the perfect medicine for them, we can often come up with several alternative medicines, which would work just fine for that person.
0: Let me ask you about people with high cholesterol who take statins. I know it can sometimes be challenging to get the dosing right. How can your clinic help these patients?
1: So statins is a very large group of patients that we help with patients who are taking statins. A lot of patients have come to us either saying that they are concerned about trying a statin again because they tried one in the past and experienced some some adverse effects such as significant muscle aches and pains. And then we have other patients who have tried more than one statin and still have had problems. And then we have patients who have tried no statins, but are concerned just based on what they've heard and you know things that they've kind of talked about with their provider, that makes them hesitant to actually try a statin when they would significantly benefit from one. So what we can do with our genetic testing is kind of explain to patients, and this is what I tell everyone, uh, muscle aches and pains is a common expected side effect from statins. and with the pharmacogenomic testing, we can help kind of identify which medication they are more likely to um, kind of minimize the risk of those side effects. Some statins, based on a patient's genetics, they might get a higher risk of muscle aches and pains. And then other statins, once we get this testing confirmed, they'll be at a more standard risk of muscle aches and pains with statins. So we get this testing done to kind of identify which statins to avoid, and which statins to pick from. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In terms of dose, that's very patient specific. That depends on their past medical history, their cardiovascular risk. So that's where the dosing comes in, but in terms of statin selection, that's where the pharmacogenomic
2: testing can be beneficial. And and this sort of goes back to what Danielle had said earlier about eliminating trial and error medicine. Uh, One of the statin patients that comes to mind came to us with a list of I can't take Crestor because it caused weight gain. I can't take this medicine because it caused muscle ache. I couldn't get out of bed. So we're literally working from a list of all available statins. We cross them off when the patient reports a side effect, and we cross them off if the genetics suggests that that won't be ideal. And even for someone who had tried several statins, we were able to find something that he could tolerate. And we started a low dose and work up, as Danielle said, depending on what their needs are and he's still successfully on that statin. The
1: other patients like those ones who haven't tried a statin yet, this genetic testing can help make them feel more confident in terms of the drug selection that the provider is recommending because they can see for themselves that this is an individual recommendation. This is their best statin based on their genetics. So it helps gain that trust between the doctor and the patient because oftentimes, you know, it's not unusual to get frustrated when you've tried several different medications and have had several different side effects. You know, you grow frustrated. But this is one way to ease that frustration and make people feel more confident in the decisions that are being made because they are specifically for them as an individual.
0: Yes. With regard to antidepressants from the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor class, are, are you able to help reduce some of the unwanted side effects for people that take those medications?
1: Yeah, that's a, another large group of patients that we have been helping out with. We have gotten referrals from both primary care physicians and those in the mental health world just for patients who have tried several different SSRIs or that selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor class of medications. These are drugs that are used for anxiety and depression. And What we're taught in pharmacy school is that you can have, you know, seven different drugs within the SSRI class and a patient may respond well to one, but not to the other. And it really does come down to trial and error. But what they don't kind of explain in detail is that the reason for that is because of pharmacogenomics and because of differences in drug metabolism for specific enzymes that break down these SSRIs. So what we can do with this Pharmacogenomic information is rule out certain SSRIs that a patient may not respond to, or may be more prone to side effects with, and then kind of categorize a list of priorities or a list of best medications to try first. And then we can also help explain to patients why they've had so many trial and error, so many issues with the SSRIs that they've tried. We can really help show them that this is why it's not their fault. We understand that they were taking their medication correctly. They were adherent to their medication. There was nothing that they could do because it is solely based on their genetics. And that was the
2: predetermining factor for why this drug didn't work for them. And I think that uh, we've learned, we didn't anticipate this, but once we help one person, they bring in other members of their family. We have one particular family where we have parents and all of their children as part of our clinic and and it's just to help them. The focus was antidepressants, but as we find with a lot of patients, once we get this detailed medication history, we find that we can help them with some of the other medications
0: they take as well. Interesting. Well, so many people take medication for pain control. Um, what issues do you see among those patients? Um, I think when I think about pain, one story
2: comes to mind. We had a a patient who was admitted to an outside hospital, not our hospital here, for um, a hip replacement, and he had told the orthopedic surgeon that he could take only two medicines: um, NSAIDs, you know, sort of ibuprofen type medicines, and Dilaudid, a very strong painkiller. And since he was so specific, the orthopedic surgeon thought it was odd and strange, and he said, "If you don't believe me, just call the pharmacogenomics clinic." So the surgeon called us, and we explained, yes, that sounds very specific, however, what he's telling you is true. And so for him, he had a variation in an enzyme, well, a gene causing the enzyme to be different called CYP2D6, 2 Delta 6. And because of that, some of the medicines were just not as effective in him. So we took the long list of medicines, we crossed off the ones that were not effective and and he had another CYP2C9, which allowed him to take the NSAIDs. So we were able to tell her, actually what he's saying is true. These are the medicines that we believe will work in him and these are the medicines we believe will not work as well. So he got his medicines, got through rehab and recovered from his surgery.
1: And essentially how this all works is there are drugs that rely on these specific enzymes that we test for more than others. So there's a group of those strong pain medicines called opioids that rely on that CYP2-D6 to be activated into their more um, effective version in the body that causes the best level of pain relief. There are other opioids that do not rely on that CYP2-D6 to be effective. So that's how we advise patients on which drugs to avoid and which drugs to choose. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, tell their doctors to choose from when they need strong pain medicines, because the ones that rely on that enzyme that might not work to them, those were the ones that we would say, you know, probably don't pick these ones because you might not have that same pain relief, choose from this list of options. And the same, that's pretty much how the, the whole concept
2: behind what we're doing works. And the other pain relievers, the NSAIDs, the ones that work for that patient, We took care of a young woman whose brother was hospitalized in the UK after he took something very benign over the counter like ibuprofen, but it turns out that she and her brother share a genetic variation that says they are more prone to side effects from that group of medicines. So we were able to tell her not only should your brother avoid this, but you should avoid
0: it. So people, because I know a lot of people out there who say, you know, I can't take this or that uh, for a headache because it just doesn't work for me. They're learning these things sort of by trial and error, but they could come to you and you could explain why or why not and give them some alternatives. Exactly. And,
1: you know, what I tell every single patient that we see is that pharmacogenomics is one piece of the puzzle it is not the 100% predictor of response to drug therapy. And I cannot ever tell you with 100% certainty how you'll respond to a drug because there are many factors that go into drug response and pharmacogenomics is just one part of that. So it is a helpful tool that clinicians can use in addition to what they're already using to help decide on drug therapy, but it's never going to be the 100% predictive factor, but it is such a valuable tool And it provides so much additional information versus the way that typical prescribing takes place.
0: I've interviewed um, several of your colleagues in the neurology department about um, epilepsy and seizure disorders. And I remember them saying it can be challenging to find the right medication that works for patients. So how can you help in that situation?
1: So in terms of seizure medications and drugs used for epilepsy. We do test for a couple different, uh, I guess you would call genes that predict whether or not a patient will be at a higher risk of drug adverse reactions or hypersensitivity reactions is what they're called. And these specific genes are usually for two medications with the best level of evidence, carbamazepine and oxcarbazepine, and they're called the HLA's, so HLA A or HLA B. And there are certain variants in these HLAs that tell us if a patient's at a higher risk of these adverse reactions and if we should avoid using these certain seizure medications in this patient because they have this positive variant in their HLA. So essentially in terms of seizure medications, that's one way that we can help is try and avoid this group of medicines because you're at a higher risk of side effects. There are other seizure medications like phenytoin or dilantin that we also test for a drug metabolizing enzyme for. And we use that result in combination with the HLA result to optimize if a patient is going to be on
2: phenytoin, what dose to use, or if they should avoid it altogether. And and there are certainly patients who are taking medications in this class for other disease states like trigeminal neuralgia, migraine, so um You know, this applies to the medication, but that medication might be used for multiple diseases.
0: The medicines that people take to relieve acid reflux and ulcers, um, the proton pump inhibitors, what are the challenges of these medications that you see?
2: Well, I I want to return to a patient story before, before Daniel dives into this question, but these medicines are tricky. So they can also, not only in our clinic, do we do what we call drug gene interactions, which is how you with your genotype will react to a drug, but sometimes we can have drug drug gene interactions and we can see this with these PPIs. So essentially
1: this group of drugs, proton pump inhibitors, omeprazole, pantoprazole, they're one of the most commonly used medications in you know just clinical practice for acid reflux, GERD, those types of things. They're not benign drugs by any means. They do have side effects associated with long-term use. So in general, we want to make sure patients are minimizing how long they need to use them for. But oftentimes patients do need them chronically and you know for life and they can't be without them. And then on you know the other side of that, we want to make sure that the drug's actually working and they're not just taking a drug and it's you know not doing what it's supposed to do. So the gene that we test for, Looks at the proton pump inhibitors, and if you're a poor metabolizer, that means that you should probably be taking a dose on the lower end of the dosage range to avoid additional side effects. If you're a rapid metabolizer, you might actually need double the dose. Should you kind of cut back on your dose and see how you do? If you get the same relief with a, a you know, that dose being cut in half, or should we recommend that you even increase it? And is is that why you're not achieving any benefit from the medicine? So that's what we're able to advise on with that
2: group of drugs. And, and I would just add one more thing. You know, pharmacists have always been keeping patients safe by checking for drug, drug interactions. But what Danielle is doing in this clinic is just one more layer. She's checking for drug, drug, gene interactions. And PPIs are a great example. Um, one of our very first patients in this clinic was on clopidogrel or Plavix, also on a PPI, and also had a CYP2C19 variant. So those three things
0: together is very different than just having two of them. So how long has pharmacogenomics been available to patients? I mean, it's this has kind of been a scientific theory for a long time, but when did it come to the patient's bedside?
2: Well, I think it's different um, in every state. Um, I know Danielle and I have tried to reach out to our colleagues in New York state and plenty of them are doing research. But I'm not aware of any other clinics in this, particularly this part of the state and um, maybe in the city, there might be one more. Um, But we just opened in January of 2020 and, um, you know, like. Like physicians do and scientists do we we tested it on ourselves first. Then once we had our procedures down and we knew we could trust the results, we opened the doors to to help patients.
1: And the field of pharmacogenomics has been around for decades, and the whole concept it's behind it. it and yeah and using pharmacogenomic information to apply to drug therapy has been around for years and years. I do believe it is becoming more popular in recent years as patients are themselves learning about it and providers are also learning about it and the benefit that it can have on patient care and along those same lines, new data becomes available every year. So, the more data, the more patients that we can help, because we can apply that information to more patients. So, you know, every, every year we get more information to add to this real, essentially a bank of information to apply to our patients.
0: Is this something that you're finding health insurers will pay for? Can patients uh, get access to this easily?
1: Yeah, we've been very lucky in terms of the patients that we've seen in our clinic and the majority of them, we've had no issues in terms of coverage. And I think that that speaks to how the popularity of pharmacogenomics is growing. Insurers are understanding the benefits, especially with, you know, the FDA support with pharmacogenomic testing. So insurers are catching on to those benefits. And we've been, you know, very lucky in terms of the fact that our patients have been able to get their testing done without any issue.
0: Well, before we wrap up, I want to ask each of you, um, just this whole idea of the pharmacogenomics clinic, is this where medicine is headed? Do you think that more patients are going to undergo genetic testing to help doctors decide the best way to treat them in the future? I mean, I think it's
2: it's one of those things that has a very low risk. It doesn't harm patients and it does help them. So uh, to me, it would seem foolish to not use a tool that could help people and it doesn't harm them.
1: I think it is definitely something that will continue to grow, especially as the information on pharmacogenomics gets shared. I think one of the issues with it not being, you know, as widely used is just from a lack of understanding lack of understanding on how to use the genetic information lack of understanding on if the information that's available is you know strong enough to apply to patients in clinical practice so that's where things like this come into play is getting the word out and sharing what we do and sharing the benefits of what we do and sharing the fact that there is guidelines you know to yeah. help us Guide drug therapy based on pharmacogenomic information. The data is there, it's, the evidence is strong, and we know that it can be
2: beneficial both scientifically and clinically. We have had some primary care physicians who've been a little reluctant. We had someone who uh, told us he did medical school in the pre genome era. And um, to those people, I would say, don't worry, we'll do, you know, we'll get the information we need, we will test the patients, we will interpret the results. You know, we're here to help. We're consultants. We're trying to help. We wouldn't expect a referring doctor to interpret, you know, 40 some pages of of genetic output. We'll do that.
0: Good point. Well, thank you both for taking the time to tell us about the Pharmacogenomics Clinic at Upstate. My guests have been Dr. Karen Albright, an Associate Professor of Neurology and of Pharmacology and Clinical Pharmacist, Danielle Delbecchio from the Department of Neurology. I'm Amber Smith. For Upstates, HealthLink on Air.